This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Robbie. Hello, Ernie. Hey, congratulations. I feel like you're finally starting to understand me, oh, even if you can't okay. believe you have. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. So the benefit of our listeners, listener, anyone, excuse posterity, you yeah. wrote something like, um, it sounds like, this is, you want, why don't you read it? Yeah. Why don't you read the quote? That'd be even better. Okay. Uh, my impression, partly from the poem you shared, but which I suspect is a gross misunderstanding on my part, is that you think that Jesus is demanding in Luke 9, 22 and 23, that we daily relive the emotional distress of facing the death of ourself. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, there's some nuance there, but that's basically correct. All right. And why did you assume that was a gross misunderstanding? Or why did you suspect that was a gross misunderstanding? Well, um, I don't see that as, uh, um, uh, I guess I don't agree with it. Um, I, okay. I do think that, I, I, I don't think it needs to be a daily emotional distress. I don't think the focus is on uh, Jesus wanting us to be in daily emotional distress over that. I see him experiencing that distress in the garden as it's about to happen. And I as see he's him about live, to bear a cross. And I see him living with the awareness and anticipation that this is coming. But I don't see that emotional distress throughout his time with the disciples. I don't see it uh, in the uh, outliving, outworking of the disciples' lives after the resurrection. Um, so uh, I, I see it as uh, not a daily experience in, um, of emotional distress. I see living in the reality that we are um, dying uh, to ourselves, but uh, not as an experience of emotional distress. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's... Okay, so let of... me uh, water it down a little bit and see if this is easier for you to handle. Let's just go with a different verse where it says, uh, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so let's forget the daily part for now, which is what some translations have or some versions of it say. Because that, if we talk about bearing the cross as maybe like a one-off thing that just happens, uh, and if I said, okay, when I say bear the cross here, this means like that, like the passion of the Christ, what we talk about, that period of time between the Last Supper and sort of his resurrection, uh, a period of intense betrayal, abandonment, emotional distress, whatever. Does that feel like a reasonable description of that period of time in Jesus's life? Okay, I, so I didn't track with you because I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Um, okay. So, uh, well, let's, let's just start by, uh, let's take another rendition. Jesus said very something very similar three times. In Luke, he mm -hmm. added the word daily. 
in the New Living Translation of uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower or wants to follow me, you must turn from your selfish ways, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Maybe we could go to NASB, which is a more literal word for word with the Greek. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So then Luke adds the word daily. But, uh, okay, so... Well, I was said, if that's it, causing you problems, let's just focus on the general, the other passages first, and then we can come back to all right. later. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, so my question has been, what does Jesus mean and what do we see in the experience of the disciples in terms of deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The follow me seems to me the easiest for me to uh, follow, uh, to connect with. Um, I'm not, I, I think that I deny myself and I don't know what take up my cross means if it means something distinctly different from deny myself. Um, so then I, I, I had sent you some uh, references to other passages where Jesus mentions the cross in relation to loving him more than family or hating family uh, or uh, those things. All right. Right. So for me, that those passages actually gave me a sense of uh, taking up the cross means uh, accepting that following him may put us at odds with those that we care most about. Okay. Uh, yes. So let me go back to my original question, if I may, or did you want to go something else that you wanted me to respond to? No, that's all right. Okay. Yeah, go back to your question uh, either more okay, slowly well, or... So the daily, I think, is confusing you. So let me clear claim first. Okay. When Jesus talks about bearing a cross, this is in the context of him bearing a cross for us, which he did in this period, which we call the Passion, right? Uh -huh. uh, 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 deep social rejection and enormous emotional distress. Right. So if I were to say to you, ignoring the daily part, that bearing a cross it, well, first, the, this is the the simple assumption. You're welcome to disagree with this, but yeah. that when he talks about us bearing a cross, this is in the context of him actually bearing a cross, mm -hmm. and that therefore it is reasonable to infer that our bearing a cross will involve, you know, or could involve at least, and perhaps paradigmatically does involve social rejection, emotional uh, distress, and the death of self. So let me just pause yeah. there and see if you can digest that and, and respond to that. Yeah, well, when Jesus said this, uh, at least in the Luke passage, I, uh, I have the context here, I can see. Um, yeah, so in Matthew, this is also an occasion when 
Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So clearly he is conscious of what's coming here. Um, The distress that he experienced in the garden seems to me on a quite a much more intense level than his acknowledgement that this is coming um, here. So then he, after having um, begun to explain this to his disciples and Peter rebuking him, and then he rebuking Peter, uh, then he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So this is that context of saying, uh, yes, this is happening to me and if you want to follow, if you let's see, whoever wants to be my disciple, and he uses the word no uh, translation. Oh, I'm still in the NIV there. Okay, um, whoever wants. Then he said, just to say, if anyone wishes to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So um, I'm. It does not seem to me that Jesus here is experiencing the same emotional distress that he experienced at Gethsemane. Um, so at this point in time, so, so just so we're clear, at this point in time in the gospel, Jesus has not yet borne a cross. I think that is well, a literally true statement. Um, okay, so he wasn't bearing the cross literally when he had the distress in Gethsemane either. Okay, that's interesting. Um, okay, Maybe. I guess we will. Okay, so he was. So this is this is a great question, right? So what is the what, when Jesus is describing? Look, what when is the term the, his passion? Because I think that is a well, the title of this episode, and it's also I think a reasonable um, um, description of what is Jesus describing? He's describing a series of events that involves rejection and betrayal and opposition leading to his death, leading to his resurrection. There is a journey he goes on. Right. Okay. And it looks, so let me use that, that, that framing, if you will allow me to, as this thing that happens to Jesus physically during a period of time of a few days maybe a week depending on how you count things but it is a uh-huh. thing it is a it is a thing that happens to him uh um that he does not necessarily um well we can talk about whether he caused it or intended it or whatever but he clearly knew it was right. going to happen yeah yeah and then during that time he experiences a series of physical activities and emotional experiences that are quite dramatic and intense, which is why we call them the passion. Right. Okay. Okay. And so my point is, is that, okay, in the context of the disciples, he has a relationship with them in a certain context, and he warns them, A, that this passion is coming to him. Yep. And I would, so my claim is that he is saying, like, this thing that has not yet happened is going to happen to me. And if you're mine, then this will also happen to you. 
that's what I claim is happening in these passages. Yeah, I, and I, I think, you know, this is consistent throughout in the uh, Beatitudes and uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, you know, rejoice when people persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you because of me. It's a great reward in heaven. You know, they're... Yeah, there are allusions to this elsewhere. Yeah, but the first one, like, my, my claim is the thing I'm talking about is the passion of Christ, which is a thing that happens to Jesus during a very specific geographical place and a specific calendar time. There is this thing called the passion of Christ. But you're, okay, which, more specifically that you're talking about the emotional distress that accompanied that. No, I'm not. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm talking about a complex of things. I was okay. having emotional distress because of our relationship and the particular right. issues that I concern about. But the general thing about this is this passion of Christ, this thing that I'm trying to characterize. Okay. okay. If you'll allow me to define that. So I'd like to make two points. So one, Okay, there, the, the passion of Christ, as we understand, is just defining it as this thing he goes through during those few days, you know, preceding and including his crucifixion. And, and this is the context that he sets. And what I hear him saying is that this thing that happened to me is a thing that if you want to go where I'm going, it will happen to you too. The first point I want to make is I want to equate that passion with the thing he expects of his disciples. Okay, so... Does that feel like a... uh, Well, just to distinguish... We can pour different things into that, but I want to at least block out that category first. Well, so part part of what he experienced during that week was the physical things that happened to him that he described here in Matthew 16, 21, of what happened Mm -hmm. to him. Uh, a piece of uh-huh. that was the agony he felt in the garden, r- wrestling with God about going through this. Um, mm-hmm. You're you're combining these. You're not separating them, or are you separating them in some no, way? I, yeah. No, I, I'm saying that there is a. I, I what I'm hoping to do is is just to since there's been some confusion and misunderstanding, is to just try and block out the term, the passion, to describe what happened then. We can unpack it later, but I want to make a couple other points first, if I may, to see, like, first of all, it's like, block of things I call the passion, we can discuss what's in it, but there's a thing that Jesus experienced that he says that we, if we want to continue as his disciples, will experience too. You Are you okay with that statement? Yeah, I just want to be clear that you're including the emotional experience and not limiting I, to the emotional experience. Yes, there are lots of things that happened during that week, which he does not explicitly call out in this verse, right, okay, in these six right. words or whatever he says, right? There's right. a bunch of things that happen there. And to collectively, Christian tradition has labeled that the passion of Christ. Okay. And there's something important there that I want to talk about. So first point is that uh, I want to make is that he, just, he described this uh, time frame um, uh, and anchors it on a few specific activities, but I, I would argue that those specific words do not contain the entirety of the passage, they just frame it, um, is my first point, I guess my first claim. My second claim is that that thing is framed by that is the thing that he expects of his disciples. And the third thing I wanted to point out is that the disciples, specifically Peter, saw this as 
discontinuous with what they thought they had signed up for and their understanding of who Jesus is. Like, right. as you notice, this is a passage where Peter protests and Jesus calls him Satan. But it's not right, that Peter. Peter, Peter is not protesting what Jesus had said Peter was going to go through. He's protesting what Jesus as the Messiah, as Peter thought he was, um, uh, as Peter, as Jesus right. is it's, proposing to it, violate. Right. So first of all, right, so that this idea of who Jesus is as a being who undergoes this type of passion was uh uh, in conflict with his prior understanding of Jesus. You know, he spent three years, you know, or so with Jesus at this point. Maybe this is a little right. sooner, I don't know. But, uh, you know, right. quite a while yeah. with Jesus. He'd done miracles. He had walked on water. He'd fed the 5,000. You know, he's had all these amazing experiences with Jesus. He right. left his home and his family to travel. After. He's done all these amazing things. And right. yet... This thing, the a the passion of okay. So the third, you know, so I guess claim three is that when Jesus describes his passion, here uh, rocks, right? He senses, he experiences a discontinuity between his understanding of who Jesus is and how Jesus described himself with, uh, uh, the, you know, the passion that Jesus was signed up for. And I guess my fourth point, spoiler alert is that when Paul, when Peter himself is faced with rejection and death and all these things, he denies Jesus, uh-huh. right? Is that because, and I would argue that the two are linked, but that's uh, not an essential thing. My point was, is that this is my understanding of the passion of Christ. It is something that he goes through, that he calls us to, and it is the thing that our ordinary following of Jesus according to human cultural conventions rebels against. And that is the uh, the the big point I want to make. Let me just pause there and see if you can accept that or not. Uh, well, you're sharing some thoughts that if I can interject them. Uh, sure, so this it is nice for you to interject. Yeah, it seems to me that much of the Christianity as it's presented in uh, America and maybe Europe and maybe around the world, I don't know, is come to Jesus and he'll rescue you from all your problems. And this is uh, the pursuit of the Messiah that Peter was expecting and wanting. Um, as opposed to as opposed to say Bonhoeffer, I think it was, who said when Jesus calls someone, he bids him come and die. Um, yeah. The idea that Jesus calls us to let go of what we thought we wanted and accept um, uh, death, uh, whatever that may look like in our circumstance, most of us aren't actually going to have a literal cross. Um, but so what, what does then this taking up the cross mean? Yes. So, um, what's the specific point you want me to agree to or not, or express There's disagreement something with? Big, sorry, lost a little audio there. Yeah. 
So what is it you're wanting okay. to specifically come to either agreement or uh, disagreement on? Okay, well, first of all, my claim, well, first of all, first of all is like the point that you, is that this thing, the, the passion of Christ is something that, you know, the disciples did not experience, did not really confront the passion of Christ, even the idea of it, until this passage. And they did not confront the reality of it until Jesus actually, you know, was arrested. That's yeah, my I first think when, point. I think when Jesus went back to, uh, after um, Lazarus had died, Thomas said, okay, let's go and die with him. So there was a they, little... They, 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 uh, Thomas was a little bit ahead yeah. of the curve, but they, they yeah. certainly knew that he had ticked off the leader. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and I'm not sure what the okay. Yeah. So, certainly, it wasn't like uh, the 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 uh, the the again. I'm not sure where. I think sometimes I've heard that the Lazarus thing was asked was like the last week, but I don't know if that's the case. Uh, yeah, I don't know. On those matters, the ordering. But regardless, right. it was a thing that, uh, even, like I would argue that none of them had really internalized except possibly John, because. Right it also caught them flash-footed, and they kind of lost it. Well, it says they all fled. What, John came back and was there. Yeah, John came back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The garden, right. the garden okay. they all fled. Right. Okay, so, so this idea of the passion is that it was, is that, is that I would argue that before the physical events of the passion took place, Jesus was not bearing a cross. And the disciples didn't, they, you know, for the most of the time, they had no concept of bearing a cross. And uh, they, when it actually happened, they didn't deal with it very well. Um, so there was a discontinuity that happened when Jesus went through his passion. And I would argue that Jesus himself uh, was transformed in the process of going through his passion. I mean, he, he has a resurrection body, among other things. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of strange things happen. And um, in my version of Jesus rebuking Peter, one of the reasons that Jesus had to rebuke Peter was because he had not yet borne that cross. Uh, it was still a sensitive, open wound, open issue between him and God the Father, which is why... You know, he hadn't really uh, wrestled with all of this until Gethsemane. Uh, And so there was something fundamental that happened during the Passion that was a transformational moment for Christ himself, uh, where he experienced a variety of things, including social rejection and emotional distress and conflict with the Father. which is a bizarre thing to think about, but I think that's the best way to characterize, that's a fair way to characterize what happened in Gethsemane, is that mm-hmm. Jesus is conflicted in his obedience to the Father. Mm-hmm. And that all of that, I think, is arcs of the passion of Christ. Okay. And it seems like you're further saying that the deny self Phrase or not that somehow the deny self and take up your cross some mixture of those one or both uh, is synonymous then with the experience of the passion. I argue the... that the passion is paradigmatic 
for what it means, like the context, given the context in Luke 22 and Matthew and whatever else, right, is that Jesus is going through this passion. These things happen to him. It's like, look, if you're signing up and follow me, these things will happen to you. And uh, I think that, well, not identical to, I think they are synonymous or co-equivalent with this idea. Uh, and my, my point is, is that a good way to tell whether we are denying ourselves and taking up our cross and follow Jesus, following Jesus is do those experiences lead to similar uh, A, consequences, and B, results as Jesus's passion? I mean, that seems like a plausible inference from the context. Um, so what, uh, the direction my thought goes is, uh, is deny yourself, take of your cross synonymous with what Jesus did in the garden where he said to God, not my will, but yours be done. Is that what Jesus is really saying that we need to do on a daily basis? is to yield to God where there seems to be some conflict, wherever there's some conflict between what we want and what we understand that he wants. That is, uh, I think, a certain, I, mean, I don't know if that's absolutely true, but I think that's a reasonable inference and a useful heuristic. So then if, if that holds, then it seemed to me that the level of distress that accompanies that would vary depending on what the conflict is and what the <laughs> perception of right. father's so, so, will right, is. Right. So this, this, this little point I said is that it is, uh, I think my response to your, the quote at the beginning is yes, that is essentially correct. However, uh, the, 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 sorry. What you said was, uh, but perhaps not quite as bad as you probably think. <laughs> Yeah, and that was my point. Is I'm not saying that every daily experience of dying to self will be at the... Well, first of all, I don't think any human has ever experienced the level of emotional distress that Jesus did in Gethsemane. I think that was a God level, to use the gamer's term, <laughs> uh -huh. a God level of emotional distress. Okay. Right? First point. It's yeah. like, okay, that's the standard. We're never going to meet it. Just... <laughs> Right? We're, we're right. all operating on mortal level, not divine level. Okay. Right. The second thing is that my experience, I was thinking about this when I started the walk, is have you ever uh, run long distances, cross country or marathons or anything? Well, I, I once ran a marathon without training for it. You know, I've talked about that, but uh, and another uh, time, a yes. 24 hour relay, but. Uh, I've, I never ran, you know, more than just uh, jogging with friends. Uh, so how, you know. <laughs> how, how did you feel after that marathon? Well, I spent the next few days in the borrowed wheelchair. <laughs> and then I had an <laughs> okay. emotional uh, emotional uplift from a mutual friend who was interested in romance. And that uh, got me out of the wheelchair very suddenly. <laughs> it was a, a powerful okay. uh, observation Similar. of the power Rejuvenate. of emotion. Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Okay, so, so, you know, so there's, so I think about, uh, so, I, I, one of my heroes, a guy named Dean Karnazes, who did uh -huh. 50 marathons in 50 days, mm -hmm. um, in 50 different states. He didn't have time to do like spend years on it, so he just said, I got a, I got a couple months this summer. Let me just run a marathon in every state in the country. Oh, um, okay. And so, 
Now, the reason he could do that <laughs> is he's an ultra marathoner. He mm-hmm. regularly he does things like 200 miles through Death Valley. I mean, he's insane. He's my hero. Okay. Um, yep. He does these relay races by himself, right? Mm-hmm. So with training, something that for me and you running a marathon would like nearly kill us and it would right. take us days to recover from, he, yep. he can do one a day. It's not a big deal, right? right? And so the death of self, I would argue, is like, it is a muscle that can be built up mm-hmm. and that we can get better at. And as we get better at it, the same level of difficulty, of external difficulty, is a lower level of emotional distress. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not like every day we go through the same level of emotional stress because we would just be debilitating. What, what yeah, it does okay. mean, so, so the idea that is that this is the, this is the daily practice that unlocks the power of God by liberating us from our false selves and bringing heaven to earth. That's the idea. And that that's the paradigm. And the intensity level varies. I think in the steady state, it's what we would call a power law, right? You have some big ones and you have a few big ones and a lot of small ones. Okay. Right. So my daily practice is to, you know, try to find a small uh, sense of tension within myself and then use poetic forms, uh, so I, I read scripture to try to discern or a devotional to try to discern, okay, where is your attention between myself and God? Mm-hmm. And then I try to bring that attention to God using poetic structures to force myself to, you know, pose a question and then experience God redeeming that. So that's sort of a micro death, if you will. Okay. Um, but it's still a good practice to practice, you know, um, and then, there are different things that happen over the course of, of a week, you know, where I will be facing or sometimes causing a crisis at work. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. And the way I think about it, it's less about seeking emotional distress. But it's right. This is my initial about, objection was it, it seemed that you were yeah. proposing to seek emotional distress or to cultivate it where I see that as a byproduct of seeking to be yielded to God's will in every circumstance, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, I understand that that's how you view it, but I actually see it slightly differently than either of those two. Okay. What I I have noticed, and I think I've told you this before, is it is the emotions I do not feel that control me the most. Uh-huh. We talked in a previous episode about disgust. I'm like, I'm not conscious of the emotion of disgust. I realize, oh, that's because whenever I start to feel it, I react so strongly, I never have a chance for it to become a feeling rather than just an emotion. Uh-huh. Uh, is that that emotion, and the reason I interrupt you a lot, is because of this sense of disgust, of not self, trying to get away from it. And I'm not, I'm therefore... Not, I'm... I'm not clear on the difference between a feeling and an emotion when you make a distinction there. Uh, uh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. An emotion is a signal in my brain that is saying that uh, there is something here to pay attention to. And if I act immediately, like, you know, if I, like, oh, I'm about to tip over, I, I, I uh, write myself um, uh-huh. that I'm fine. But if I have an emotion and I don't have, it's like a signal handler in a computer. If I have a signal, I can't handle it. The signal builds up 
till it rises to the level of conscious awareness, and that's what I call a feeling. So the emotion so the, is the underlying signal, and the feeling is the conscious awareness of it. Okay. All right. And the idea that lots of emotion. I mean, it's a somewhat arbitrary distinction, but I find it useful since the word feeling implies yeah. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And my point is that I have lots of emotions that I do not feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be for good or bad reasons. It could be because they're really low level or because I have walled off that part of myself. Um, mm-hmm. okay. And the specific experience I have of death of self is precisely confronting is confronting those feelings that I have avoided. And so the emotional distress is not directly because, though it may be precipitated by external activity. It is a mm-hmm. sign of my own brokenness and woundedness that I have uh, been avoiding. And so the primary act of courage is to open Pandora's box and see the mess that is in there. Uh, for example, I think last episode, which we, have, we may have actually recorded, was I talked about my rage, mm-hmm. uh, about this word disciple and uh, versus follower. And mm-hmm. I had a nice digital abstraction layer around disciple and follower that kept me from having to deal with a lot of messy emotions and betrayals and frustrations and gunk. And when you... Um, you know, did not respect my definitions of those terms, that created a sense of rage because like, damn it, can't you please just respect my digital abstraction layer um, so that I don't have to deal with all the crap underneath. But then I realized, Mm -hmm. okay, this is not helping. This is not good. I must go and pull the lid off of Pandora's box. And I said, okay, what's actually going on here? What are the things that are actually important to me and Mm -hmm. deal with the analog messiness and it's like, okay, this is the thing that I have to deal with. And then that, I think, unlock a deeper level of conversation between us because right. I wasn't getting so hung up on the word. But the reason is, is that, you know, when you're trying to use words to keep emotions, you know, locked, you know, in the dungeon, then you have to put that it's worth spending energy to avoid having to open those doors. Okay. Um, and that's what I would argue a great deal of the dysfunction, if perhaps if not all of sin, is our fear of having to open those doors because in the past when we open the doors, the monster comes out and wreaks havoc. Right. And so this is the gospel that, 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 uh, you know, this was a story at the end of the, the great reset is that the monster under the bed is me. Uh, uh-huh. the, the villain I've locked away in the dungeon is actually myself. Mm-hmm. And Christ came to set that captive free. And this is why embracing emotional distress, confronting it, coming to terms with it, pressing through it to the other side, is what I see as so foundational to this work of denying self, of denying this false digital abstraction layer that we use to navigate this world in an efficient, bloodless manner, Mm -hmm. and confronting that ugliness and pain that I couldn't deal with before, which is why I locked it away, bringing it to the cross of Jesus one way or the other so that I can actually become not just more like him, but more myself. Right. 
And that is the thing that I am trying to get better at doing every day. And the more I do that, the more I become myself and the more I see heaven come to earth and the more I'm able to see other people as they are rather than what I need them to be. Yeah. So it's readiness to, it seems like what you're advocating is uh, readiness to embrace the distress and work it through rather than to bottle it up and try and hide it for (laughs) indefinitely. Right. But that does include seeking it out, right? Of being alert to hints of like, oh, wait, that's my false self pointing out. So in that sense, seeking out emotional distress, which is a thing you, I think, uh, you reacted to earlier, is not the goal, but it's a really useful tactic. Yeah, that's right. Being alert to it when it presents itself as an indicator that there's something to deal with that needs dealing with. Right. But, and, but, but it's a little bit worse than that, by the way, which is one of the reasons why I didn't want to undersell your horror at what I was suggesting. Right. Okay. Because I said in the steady state, it follows a power law where that you have these you know, periods of mild and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of little ones and a few big ones. On the right. other hand, <laughs> Um, and I guess the technical term for this is recovery. When you're in recovery, when you are detoxing from alcohol or drugs or things like that, the level of emotional distress for an extended period of time can be quite high and ongoing. And there is a backlog factor, which for me, I spread out around, you know, uh, three years of recovery, roughly 2003 to 2006, you know, uh-huh. dealing with addictive issues in my past. And that right. was, you know, more or less, uh, you know, high level emotional distress and a sense of dis-ease with myself, lack of identity, lack of connection with God, whatever, um, right. that um, uh, is not to be underestimated. In fact, that's yeah. why most people don't bother doing this is because they subconsciously sense there is a large amount of emotional backlog. And if they open Pandora's box, it could take weeks, months, or even years to put everything back together. Mm-hmm. But like I said, this to me is literally the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus or actually following him all the way through, not just the culturally convenient version of it that the disciples did for 90% of the Gospels. Yeah, okay. So as a kind of parody check on this, uh, how do you see this work out, worked out by the disciples in Acts or in the Epistle? Sure. I'll give you a short answer, and then we can unpack it later if you want. Every time we see a major outbreaking of something new in the book of Acts, it is because someone is bearing a cross. That's my interpretation. So when Peter goes up to tell, you know, all the crowd, it's easy to see like, oh, wow, he's just so full of himself and he's so secure and peaceful. I bet he was scared crapless. 
So that's what I would feel like in that situation. It's like, yes, this is clearly the right thing to do. Crap. These are 5,000 people from all over the world. There's all these guards and soldiers. I got no choice. I got to do this. I think that was Peter bearing a cross. He was confronting his own fear and shame and insecurity. Um, and, you know, he took a plunge in a leap of faith. And that was why we saw 5,000 people baptized is precisely because he bore a cross. Obviously, the, you know, Cornelius, uh, obviously Paul and the conversion, like all these things, I, uh, I, I consider those paradigmatically exemplars of this dynamic. Uh, People so confronting I'm, I'm little, uh, this thing that they fear. I'm a little stuck in the, I mean, uh, the one where it's Cornelius. Yeah, I see that. Um, the At Pentecost, is there anything in the actual story that you see that points to what you're saying? Or is this, I mean, it seems I, I, like. I cannot prove that to you from scripture. I okay. can just say, you know, when I read that as a young as a child, I was all like, Peter, he's so bold and he's so sure. But after yeah, yeah. watching The Chosen, and I see Peter as a human being who is insecure oh. and fretful and cowardly. It's like, okay. okay, if I put, if I can see myself in that Peter and I was right. facing the thing, that's what I would be feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I would do right. it, but I would be terrified. Yeah. And I've done things like that, as we've talked about in previous episodes. And, you know, it looks like arrogance, but it feels like insane vulnerability. It feels like sure. offering yourself up to be nailed on a cross. And so that is yeah. purely my interpretation based on my psychological identification with Peter. Okay. Um, I cannot prove it then, to you in any literal way. That is the yeah, way that I, yeah, that's what I'm interpreting it. So uh, in this and in, uh, you know, Cornelius, these are uh, acts of obedience. Um, the amount of distress experienced or not experienced is not in my, I, I'm having trouble drawing to mind expressions of the distressed uh, people experience as they go through this yielding process. Um, particularly, you know, the disciples were told, teach all the nations and when you disciple them to obey everything I've commanded you. So um, my, my uh, I don't know, uh, shock is uh, a perception that you're advocating something that I've never um, perceived as a demand of Christ, that you're looking at uh, deep, what seemed like deep level distress, Gethsemane level distress as a daily pursuit uh, in trying to deny ourselves, take up our cross. And I'm I'm just having trouble correlating that with you know what I read in scripture, what I think Jesus sorry, 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 hold on. When you say you read in scripture, uh-huh. uh, the way you read scripture. So yeah, when I hear I mean, Jesus says, because when I read Matthew twenty eight, twenty eight, know that verse, you know, I've heard it preached as yeah, long yeah. as I've been alive, like you it's like I read that as, oh, we're supposed to be rabbinical students who sit at the feet of a teacher and learn to recite back the facts that he told me. That's what it means to be a good Lutheran. What it means to be a good Christian. That's what it means to be a okay. disciple of Jesus. Right? That's right. the way that I was raised. And yeah, yeah. when I confronted Luke 9, 23, it's like, wait, crap. Is that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Right. So I'm supposed to deny myself 
pick up my cross and follow him and go through the things he went through and experiencing the things he experienced? Is mm-hmm. this what Paul meant when he says that I long to share in the sufferings of Christ so that I may somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead? Is mm-hmm. that actually what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And when you start looking at the whole of the Gospels and the Epistles through the lens of the cross, it gives you a uh-huh. very different perspective on what a lot of these things mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is my, you know, this is, this, this is literally what I believe is the crux of the matter. And right. in particular, right, the issue is that, like, okay, I'm not saying that every day is going to be, like I already said, there's no mortal day that is equivalent to Gethsemane. Right. Right? Let's just, you know, put that on, that's on the table. But, like I said, there should be a power law distribution, is that if we are maturing in Christ on a regular daily basis, then we need to be confronting these abjected portions of our psyche and bringing them to Jesus in a regular way. And, you know, like I said, if, you know, if I'm doing the things that Jesus said and I'm not getting either the, and people aren't reacting to me and I'm not reacting the way that Jesus did, then that might be a sign that I'm doing it wrong. Right. Right. If I am, think I'm doing the discipleship thing and I'm really popular with everybody and uh, I'm happy and uh, nothing is changing in the world around me, then maybe I'm doing it wrong. Right. And so right. the, uh, that's the, the point is, like, the point is to grow close to Jesus, but the point is that there's no emotional distress or there's no ecstatic union. If there's no catharsis, there's no passion, uh-huh. right, uh, in, in, that, that, that looks and feels like Jesus, that feels like Christ, then maybe we've been missing the point. Yeah, yeah. So when uh, the uh, prophet comes and is telling Paul and his friends that Paul is going to be bound and imprisoned in Jerusalem, um, Mm -hmm. and they all are urging him not to go, and he says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? You know, I'm ready not only to go, but to die. Um, It seems like he's already gone through that, but the rest of them are needing to go through that. But but he's still but don't forget their weeping is breaking Paul's heart, right? right. I mean he may okay. be not distressed about his own sake, but yeah, like the yeah. emotional burden is is far from trivial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this okay. is the thing, right? Not all emotional distress is ours. Right. Right. You know, there's there's a large complex of emotions, but it's it's only because Paul had worked through his own emotional distress that he had space to feel theirs. So um, maybe what we're saying is that if our uh, following of Christ does not involve emotional, involve us in some uh, varying degree of emotional distress, even on a daily basis, then maybe we've uh, mistaken something else for the gospel. And you were contrasting your earlier view that uh, being disciples meant sitting and being taught 
like a rabbi teaches students uh, with being mm-hmm. a disciple. And you're yeah, recognizing my, that, yeah. that that, that, yeah, that view, of, yeah. which may be widespread in the Christian church, uh, is missing the key point of what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 6, 9, 22, uh, and like Matthew. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, and literally, like, it's like... Like, of all the classes I've done in discipleship, and I've read books, I've written books, it's like uh-huh. like the whole thing about, like, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me was barely mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right? I right. can quote well, lots of passages on the authority of Scripture and on uh, rightly dividing the word of truth and good doctrine and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, um, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus never said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to go to seminary and get a degree. Uh, or right. that you need to have a daily quiet time where you're right. reading your Bible for 15 minutes a day. But that was what I was yeah. kind of taught. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I understand that there's reasons for that. And mm-hmm. they were expedient choices at the time based on what people knew. Right. But that is the problem, or rather that is the opportunity, I should be more generous, is mm-hmm. that like, I really believe that in these days, Jesus has given us the extraordinary opportunity to actually fall in love with him amidst the brokenness of this world and our own brokenness in a way that very few believers have had the opportunity. There have been monks and nuns uh, and hermits in the desert who've had deep emotional experiences with God, deeply disconnected from ordinary human life. Mm-hmm. There are lots of faithful, hardworking church people who, you know, will have, you know, occasional ecstatic experiences of communion on a retreat or at a church service, uh, or maybe even in their own prayer closets. But it's largely still disconnected from the day-to-day workplace. I mean, we've seen that start changing. I mean, all the work about marketplace ministry and bringing God into your business. And like, it's been, I feel like the change has been coming for a while, but it's still really hard, as you know, so no, to unlearn all the programming we've had about what it being a good Christian is. Right. Yeah. To hear Jesus. Yeah. Ah. I would apologize for ranting, but the title is the is the of this episode is the passion, so it's on the tin. <laughs> right, right. No, I uh, okay. So I uh, the other morning, stirred by our conversation of what Jesus demands, I went through and looked up all the I could find where he makes reference to whoever would follow me or come after me. Um, mm-hmm. These are the things you must do. The if I could, there are about a dozen of them. I don't know if it's worth uh, mentioning here or if, uh, um, but the, the, what I come away from this with is the sense that um, certainly uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him, following him to me is the overarching uh, theme and that uh, and it's for me it's synonymous with being a disciple. Um, and uh, yeah, as, long as, we talk about, as, as long as following him includes, like, I want to draw a sharp line between following him 
like a rabbi and following right. him like Christ. But yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, and the, this other phrase I've, I've came up short in how to, um, in my tools to look up that pair of words come after uh, in, uh, you know, where else that shows up. But it, it certainly is. Uh, he said to his disciples, whoever would come after me, which um, at least the way that Matthew, so that's the way Matthew phrased it. Uh, he said this to his disciples. And uh, so what Matthew means by a disciple, because there, it sounds like he's saying they're already disciples, then um, what it means to come after, is that something more? And uh, anyway, questions about that. But the, the overarching yeah, thing yeah. that I, I catch capture out of our conversation so far is that uh, the um, the daily practice of, uh, of rec- recognizing where my will may not be aligned with the Father's and yielding that and um, experiencing the distress, whatever level of distress comes with that letting go or sacrificing Abraham putting Isaac on the altar, whatever, uh, whatever level it feels like at that point, is that uh, following Jesus and like uh, he talked about with the family in the context of also the cross. He refers to that. Um, where did I? I wrote that down somewhere. Where he says, uh, "If you any whoever does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life." cannot be my disciple <clears throat> whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple mm-hmm. um so anyway that that's what it right, so like the, right. and then that, yeah and that's where you know there was a little bit of a reaction i had because the western concept of rejecting your family to follow jesus like my ancestors did when they right. you know is is, is, you know, like my ancestors literally, like they, they were cut off from their family. The families held funerals. They were dead. Mm-hmm. You know, they were cast out from the only society and relationships and social safety that they'd ever known. Right. And tragically yeah. and gloriously, they were taken in by missionaries who gave them an education and a new identity. And they ended up alienated right. from Hindu culture as a result, right? Um, right. You know, under the circumstances, you know, it was you know, the best they could do. Yep. Uh, right. Uh, but it's still tragic in, in so many levels, but right. like that, you know, but like, that's what it means to follow Christ. Like you're willing to give up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the, the uh, I get annoyed, I guess, because for Westerners getting into a fight with your family is a, um, <laughs> is, 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 is a minor detail. Right. Yeah. You know, it's From not our, this earth-shaking, gut-wrenching uh, yeah, yeah. reality. Right. And uh, that was actually what I was... Anyway, that was another discussion, which maybe we can have another time, about uh, the first time you felt rejected by your family. Um, I probably wasn't even conscious of it. <laughs> I mean, I, the, my my siblings... Uh, anyway, the, the fam- in in America, so many families are being pulled apart by other cultural forces that the uh the impact of Christ in that is can be unrecognized 
uh, I think it was. Right, yeah, my... we, like we, 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 almost, we almost don't have a family self to die to. Right. And I think that yeah. was the other thing is that, like, the way that I look at it is, you know, there is this period of time where I think oh, if I sent you my V8 race, um, but this idea is that first we have to have a self, and then right. we realize that self is a problem. If you don't have a self or you don't see it as problematic, then you don't see the, then you don't really need a you don't recognize why you need a savior. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can save that for next time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you, Robbie. You did a very good job listening. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I gained something that helped you as well. That's, that's great. All right. All right. So, God bless you. Talk uh, to you soon. Uh-huh. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you.